Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host, and today we are talking about feeding and infancy, which is one of my all-time favorite topics. I love doing infant feeding and swallowing. It was probably one of the first things when I was in graduate school that let me know I had chosen the right career field. In fact, I didn't really know anything at all in graduate school about infant feeding, not diddly squat. And on one of my internships, I was lucky enough to be able to work with a therapist who did a lot of work in the NICU with preterm babies who had feeding and swallowing issues. And it just opened a whole new world for me of like, where has this been all my life? And sort of, aha, the heavens parted and it was awesome. So ever since then, I've just been real nerdy-like and that I love infant feeding and swallowing and pediatric feeding and swallowing. And so that's why I am pumped to be talking about this today. But I could talk forever and ever and ever about this particular topic. And today we're just going to start on this topic. So today I'm just going to go over normal anatomy and physiology, normal suck, swallow, breathe, non-nutritive sucking, and kind of what it is to be normal and normal feeding with all of that. And then in another podcast, we'll talk about abnormal and the preterm infant and all kinds of really cool, fun stuff. But you got to know normal first. So my first piece of advice before I even start talking about anything is if you're listening, you're thinking, you know what, this whole feeding thing really interests me. I enjoy it. I think I would like to do more with it. The first thing you need to do is you need to feed normal babies. So Volunteer your time at a daycare center, volunteer your time at a church nursery, go to the next door neighbor's house, do what you got to do to find a baby if you don't have one in a legal kind of way. Don't steal a baby, but whatever you got to do. So do what you got to do to find a baby and then feed the babies as much as possible. You want to feed also a lot of different babies. Then you get to really know what normal is. And I did that. I have children of my own, but prior to doing that, I did just what I said. I volunteered in daycare centers. I volunteered in church nurseries just so I could feed babies and just seeing what normal babies did and how quickly they finished a bottle and at different ages, anywhere from zero to six months or even nine months, just seeing what normal babies did feeding them bottles was key to me understand this topic. Now we've also, let me mention this, we've done Knowing Normal podcast on speech and language development, fine motor development, and gross motor development. So if you haven't listened to one of those, go back and look for that. And those are also very helpful podcasts. But today is just normal infant feeding, normal infant anatomy, physiology, and normal suck, swallow, breathe, and non-nutritive sucking. That's what we're going to talk about today. So without further ado, let's start talking more about the anatomy and physiology of the infant. And also, let me say this too before I really get started. I do believe this. Babies don't do what doesn't feel normal. Babies are smart. So keep that in mind too when you're feeding babies. If something isn't right, because all of this feeding stuff is just natural, normal, reflexive. They've got to eat to survive. They're pre-wired to do this normally and successfully. So without a lot of effort and energy from the feeder, the baby can take care of the situation by themselves. If they can't, that's an automatic red flag, something's up. And the something's up can be a whole lot of different things, which will be in different podcasts. But babies don't do what doesn't feel normal. So keep that in mind too when you're feeding babies. If they're not eating regularly normal, something's up, and then it's our job to figure that out. Okay, so the first thing to do is start with anatomy and physiology of the nasal cavity. 
Isn't that fun? The nose. So basically for the nose, it's just the primary inlet for air and also the nasopharynx. So you need to be able to know what the nasopharynx is. It's the space right above the pharynx, the back of the nasal cavity. And if you're familiar with modified barium swallow studies, you should never see any kind of liquid or anything in the nasal cavity. It's closed off by the soft palate when a baby starts to eat. And if you see anything coming out of the nose when a baby is eating, that's an automatic red flag. And so that brings us really to the hard and the soft palate. Now, the hard palate is the bony top of the mouth. This forms by 12 weeks in utero, and it separates basically the nasal cavity from the oral cavity. That's really what it is. And then the soft palate is the muscle and the skin behind the hard palate in the oral cavity. And the soft palate, again, it also closes and forms by 12 weeks in utero. And the soft palate is what closes against the back of the pharynx when the baby swallows, like I just said before. Things to look for in a, or problems in a hard palate or soft palate is if there's a cleft palate. A cleft of the hard palate means that the hard palate, the bones didn't form by 12 weeks. And that can happen for several different reasons. But basically, there's a hole in between the oral cavity and the nasal cavity. And the baby doesn't have a hard palate. There also can be a submucous cleft, meaning that the muscles that make up the soft palate didn't close at 12 weeks either. And so there's just skin behind the hard palate. And the muscles are not attached and together like they should be. So there's no soft palate. The way to really test for that in an infant or even in an older child is have your handy-dandy pin light that I'm sure everybody carries with them. But in an older child, you can turn the pin light on and have them close their lips around the pin light. And if there's light coming out of the nose, like a lot of light coming out of the nose, do it on yourself first. And so you'll see how much light is normal to come out of the nose and then do it on a child with a submucous cleft. And there's tons of light that comes out of the nose and that'll tell you they got a submucous cleft. Feeling it also is one way to do it. If you see a baby who's constantly losing liquid when they're sucking, they're constantly losing stuff out of the front of the nose. I mean, I'm talking like all the time. Then you may want to suspect a submucous cleft and you can also do the pin light thing and see how much light's coming out of the nose. It'll tell you a lot. But in a baby, they don't have any teeth. It's very easy to feel. So that's really what I would do for a baby. And also another clue that there's a submucous cleft if there's a bifid uvula. So the uvula is in the back of the mouth. I'm sure everybody has seen when you open your mouth for a while, the uvula that hangs down back there in the back. But a bifid uvula means it's kind of in two parts. And so that is another clue that there could be a potential submucous cleft. So it's something to think about. But basically the function of the soft palate is it closes off the nasopharynx during the swallow. And it also closes off the nasal cavity for other speech sounds as the baby develops and develops speech sounds and everything. Most importantly is in bottle feeding and sucking is make sure that no liquid's coming out of the nose. So the next thing let's talk about are the lips. And most people think that lips are really important in bottle feeding and breastfeeding, but they're really not. They're pretty passive. They don't really do anything. The biggest thing, they just sort of close on the nipple, close on the breast. That's really pretty much it. Now, you do want to check to see if they're flaccid. You don't want there to be any openings or where the lips aren't, you know, closed around the nipple all the time. But other than that, that's all they do. Now, problems for the lips would be, number one, like I already said, if they're flaccid, meaning they're open, You there's a lot you can see into the mouth and the lips aren't closed around the nipple. Two is if they're overly like tight, if they're kind of pinched or there's extra sort of hyper, more like tension there in the lips, that would be a real problem. They're just supposed to be closed around the nipple, but not active, just passive and closed. That's pretty much it for the lips. So 
There you go. That's an easy test. The next are the cheeks. Now, cheeks are pretty major in nippling, and you wouldn't think so, but okay, think about a big, normal, healthy baby. They got these big old honking fat pads, and most babies look very much the same when they're born, actually, and they all have, or they should have large, large fat pads. The fat pads actually anchor the baby, so they help provide stability. They really allow for not very much room in the oral cavity at all. So there's really not much room for the tongue to move or anything else to happen but for that baby to eat normally. Because the fat pads are so large, there's really only enough room once in the oral cavity for the nipple and the tongue to move up and back, up and back. And that's what we're going to talk about next. But that's really the only thing the tongue should do. So those fat pads are major. So think about a preemie who didn't develop those fat pads. You've already set yourself up for some instability with bottle feeding. So another thing to look for are fat pads because they really provide stability and the cheeks. Next is the tongue. Now, the tongue is major, and it's got lots of work to do in coordination with the jaw. And the tongue is really the key to adequate and normal nippling. So the tongue does a couple things. First, it forms a central groove around the nipple, meaning it kind of folds up around the nipple, but not too tight, just folds up around the nipple naturally. And the movement of the tongue is that it goes up and forward, so the tongue tip goes right there behind where the front teeth would be. So right there, the alveolar ridge is where the tongue goes, and then it drops back and down. And when it goes up and forward, it makes positive pressure, and when it moves back and down, it creates negative pressure. At the same time that the tongue is doing this, the jaw is following it. So when the tongue goes up and forward with that tongue tip right at the alveolar ridge, the jaw comes up. And then when the tongue drops back and down, the jaw drops down. Now this whole time, the baby's mouth isn't opening, so you don't want to hear the on the nipple. You don't want to see opening and closing. You don't want to see the lips to come off of that nipple. The Cheeks are providing really good support. The lips are around the nipple the whole time, not coming off, but the tongue and the jaw are really doing all the work. They're creating negative and positive pressure, and they're creating that positive pressure when the tongue moves up, and then negative pressure when the tongue moves back and down, and the jaw follows it. And the key thing about the jaw is it's got to be very rhythmical. So if you've ever seen babies eat, it's very rhythmical. I mean, you can almost set a metronome by that situation. You know, it's like click. Suck, swallow, breathe, suck, swallow, breathe, suck, swallow, breathe. That's what they do. Suck, swallow, breathe in that order. It's very rhythmical, very regular until maybe towards the end of the feeding when they start falling asleep. But usually they carry right on through to the very end. Very normal feeding does. So for the jaw movements, if you see um, arrhythmical movement or if you see a lot of tremoring in the jaw, then that's all abnormal. So just to review one more time, and I know I've said it a couple times, but compression is when the tongue's up, the jaw's up. And suction is when the tongue comes down and the jaw comes down. So compression, suction, compression, suction. And rhythmical jaw movements. That's normal nippling. And it's a beautiful thing. Let me just tell you something. So then we have to move down to the pharynx because that's pretty much the end of the oral stage. So basically the oral stage starts with the lips and then moves back right before the swallow. That's the oral mechanism. It's made up of the lips, the cheeks, the tongue, and the jaw. Then once the liquid gets to the back of the tongue, then you move into the pharynx. And the function of the pharynx is for swallowing and respiration. Food moves through there, and then air moves through there. So if you have anything that's hindering the food moving through there or the air moving through there, you've got some pretty major problems. But basically, the anatomy in the pharynx is the epiglottis, um, that closes over top of the larynx during the swallow, and then the vellecula and the piriform sinuses. And if you're familiar with the modified barium swallow study, the vellecula and the piriform sinuses are those little pockets that potentially you could see 
food or a liquid pool in during a swallow study. You don't want to see any of that happen, but they're there for safety in case it does. But that's not a normal swallow. That's basically the anatomy of the pharynx. The epiglottis, the vellecula, and the piriform sinuses, all that's very normal. And it's pretty little, tiny, and small, and all squished up in a baby. So speaking of small and squished up in a baby, the larynx is actually positioned high and tilted up in a baby. And it's in a position of already kind of a safety position. So think about it. If you're working with adults and, you know, you do a chin tuck for a swallow, Chin tuck is like one of the first safety things you would do. The reason you're doing it is because you're trying to expand the space and the follicula and the piriform sinus, and you're trying to get that larynx up and forward to do that because when the larynx moves up and forward, then the follicula and the piriform sinuses get space gets larger. Babies are positioned that way to start with. So they're already in sort of a safety position. The larynx is positioned up and high. The airway is actually also protected by the true and the false vocal folds. So in a swallow, what happens is the larynx, you know, is already positioned up and forward, but the epiglottis moves down over top of the airway, the true and the false vocal folds close. So the airway is protected. And then the liquid whips through the pharyngeal cavity in like a millisecond. But then it moves to the esophagus. So the esophagus is made up of the upper esophageal sphincter and the lower esophageal sphincter. So when the baby swallows, the upper esophageal sphincter opens and the lower esophageal sphincter opens so that the food can go in and then it closes back so the food doesn't come back up. So a lot of times you'll see a baby whose lower esophageal sphincter doesn't close back. And then what happens is the baby takes like a whole bottle and then they'll projectile vomit. When they projectile vomit, I'm telling you like the vomit hits the wall like 20 feet away. Like they vomit. That was my vomit sound. But anyway, so I mean, they could hit the wall like from far away. A lot of times those babies are failure to thrive. And a lot of times they just looks like they're sick because they're really not getting enough nutrients. There's a lower esophageal sphincter issue and they can go in and they can medically manage that problem and everything. There's a difference between reflux and that problem. And reflux is when the food comes back up again, but it's different than if the lower esophageal sphincter isn't closing up like it needs to around the stomach. So to wrap up this whole anatomy section and just, we've broken each part of it down, but when you see a normal baby eat, it doesn't really look that hard. However, if you think about it, it's really the hardest thing they do all day. A normal baby, though, is born with a fully intact central nervous system. They have alert states. They have sleep states. They get into a nice deep sleep state so they can wake up into a nice alert state to eat. They go back into a nice deep sleep state. It's a beautiful thing, awake, asleep. They get hungry, they wake up, they're crying, they want to be fed. So hungry, cry, eat, full. It's pretty normal the way it happens. But if you have anything that disrupts that at all, then it really can get abnormal pretty quickly. So a premature infant, for example, who maybe their central nervous system is little less developed and they're a little more disorganized can really look like a pretty bad nippler at first while they're trying to still work on developing and getting their central nervous system a little bit more organized. So anything that disrupts that is pretty significant and we have to just be very careful observers A lot of the evaluation is done by observation to assess really what the baby's dealing with and what the baby's doing. And in future podcasts, I'll do one on prematurity and nippling. So that's just a whole other fun topic. Anyway, so let's talk about 
reflexes right now because reflexes affect how the baby eats, it affects the anatomy, and it affects the nutritive and non-nutritive sucking. And then we're going to talk about that after the reflexes. So first, let's talk about gag reflex. Gag reflex is there at 32 weeks. It actually can be found in utero at 16 weeks, but if a baby's born early, you see it a lot at 32 weeks. It's a contraction of the pharynx. There's tongue protrusion. Sometimes there's head movement and a lot of jaw extension. So everybody knows what a gag reflex is. A lot of times I'll have parents will say, oh, well, my child's choking. They're choking because they're gagging. They're not choking. They're just gagging on something. See, a lot of kids who have a lot of oral aversions and because of different textures in the mouth, they're gag, but they're not choking. They're just gagging. So if you see a baby, though, gagging on a pacifier or a bottle nipple, that's a red flag. The gag shouldn't be so hypersensitive that they would gag on a nipple or a pacifier or something. Okay, rooting is another reflex that's there. At 32 weeks, an infant can open their mouth, but they really can't differentiate a stimulus for rooting. They can't really differentiate, you know, a pacifier versus a bottle you know, but at 36 weeks, they root for a purpose and nutritional support. So, I mean, you've seen the babies turn their heads, they latch on, they have a sucking response on their cheek for feeding. So to elicit a rooting reflex, all you do is stroke the cheek and they should turn their head and start to try to move their mouth like they want to eat. So that's at 36 weeks. Another reflex that you'll see a lot is a traverse tongue reflex. That's usually present at about 28 weeks. And basically all that is is to stimuli, there's a lateral tongue movement. So if you touch the side of the tongue, they move their tongue to whichever side you're touching. It's good to assess for infants with nerve damage. A lot of times babies who are even drug exposed and they're born full term, you really won't see a good traverse tongue reflex. So that's something really important to assess and look for. But it's just that lateral tongue movement. And then also a phasic bite. Now that's important to look for as well. And basically when you touch the gums on the lateral side, you'll get a lot of tongue movement and a lot of jaw movement like they're biting. It's really not that strong of a bite, but they should move their jaw up and down, up and down. It's also a good thing to look for. If you put the nipple in the child's mouth or you're touching the side of the gum and you're seeing the child automatically start to sort of bite, but they never stop that, and that's how they're nippling, they're sort of biting or munching on that nipple, that's very abnormal and dysfunctional. So that should not be interpreted for natural like latching on or natural nippling or sucking. That's just a phasic bite you're seeing. Okay, and then suck-swallow is a normal, very normal reflex that has to be there, and that's present at 37 weeks, and there's a burst and a pause pattern. And so I want to really sort of break that down right now. So I want to talk about non-nutritive sucking and nutritive sucking. So... First, let's talk about non-nutritive sucking. Non-nutritive sucking is basically what a baby does when they're sucking on a pacifier. It looks very different, and it is very different than nutritive sucking, and that's when a baby is taking a bottle or breastfeeding. But a non-nutritive suck is usually a long suck burst followed by a long pause break. And the pause break and the suck burst are pretty much the same length. They're about 5 to 20 sucks with about the same pause. Usually, a non-nutritive suck can be elicited by a pacifier, by a bottle nipple without anything in the bottle, finger. Babies should normally just suck on It's a reflex, so it's kind of what they do. But there should be a difference in a nutritive suck and a non-nutritive suck. Important thing to look for, and I always test this when I go to test, when I work with babies with feeding problems during an assessment, I always assess a nutritive suck first and then a non-nutritive suck. And if I can't elicit a non-nutritive suck, that's a real, real, real problem and automatically says to me that there could be a neurologic component. I'm not saying that there is automatically. That's kind of the red flags that go up in my head. So that's a non-nutritive suck. 
Now, a sucking pattern, a nutritive suck, is when the baby's actually taking a bottle. There's an immature sucking pattern and a mature sucking pattern. An immature sucking pattern is when there's usually like three to five suck bursts and a single burst and then a pause. So the baby will suck, 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 pause. Suck, 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 pause, or suck, 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 swallow, breathe. Suck, 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 swallow, breathe. A lot of times I see babies who are also very disorganized who may suck, 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 and forget to swallow and breathe. That's the problem because you have to do that. Then there's pacing that you can do and all that. Anyway, a mature sucking pattern is usually a one-to-one-to-one, a suck-swallow-breathe ratio, or three-to-one-to-one. So it could be suck-suck-suck, swallow-breathe, suck-suck-suck, swallow-breathe, or suck-swallow-breathe, suck-swallow-breathe, suck-swallow-breathe. Usually as babies get older, you'll see a little bit longer sucking bursts, like about three sucks before they swallow and breathe. But usually a younger baby will suck, swallow, breathe, suck, swallow, breathe. And it's like clockwork. Like what I said before, you can set your watch to it, set a metronome to it. It's suck, swallow, breathe, suck, swallow, breathe. But it happens so fast, you hardly even can see this happening in a very normal baby. So that's why you go to the daycare or the church nursery and feed babies. So you can really start to pay attention because you got to watch for it and know what you're looking for. So that's nutritive sucking and non-nutritive sucking. And usually the tools that I use to assess the non-nutritive suck is a pacifier or my gloved finger, or I get the mom or the dad or the caregiver, whoever's with me to test it and with me directing them. Because here's another issue. If I'm the therapist and I'm going in to feed a baby, I never feed the baby. I always watch because the most important job a mom has is feeding her baby. And if there's something not right about that situation, they're already on high alert, high gear, and that's a problem for the mom. So the last thing I want to do is go in there and successfully feed the baby and her not. I mean, that's just horrible. So I never, ever feed the baby during a feeding assessment. I always have the mom or the dad or the primary caregiver feed that baby because it's their baby. So I'm much better off giving suggestions and strategies and implementing changes that I teach to the parent because I'm not going to be there for every feeding either. And it's so big whoop, I could do it. Who cares? They need to do it when I leave. And it's not my baby. It's their baby. So, And I want to help them be successful. So that's number one right off, no matter what happens. And they'll usually say to me, do you want to feed him? And I automatically say, no, no, you feed him. You got this. And then I direct. I do a lot of direction. And I really need to watch very closely. So I really watch. That doesn't mean that I don't get in their personal space because I really get in their personal space, but they feed the baby. So I'll have the mom introduce a pacifier or the dad, not ruling out dads, I'm just saying, usually it happens to be the mom, but mom or dad give them the pacifier or their own finger and I assess a non-nutritive suck. And then I find out what they're using to feed their infant. And we go from there to assess the feeding. So that's kind of how I set it up and what I do. But I think it's really, really important to have the parents feed that baby, not you. Okay, so talking about normal feeding still, the baby gets older. And as the baby gets older, at about three months, there start to be anatomy changes. The structures basically grow vertically. What happens first is the mandible grows down and forward. The epiglottis moves down, so that means, of course, the larynx moves down. The fat pads, the baby's fat pads, start to decrease. The oral cavity gets larger because, again, if the fat pads are decreased on the cheeks, then there's more space in the mouth. There's increased space in the pharynx as well. And then also, that's in the back of the throat there. And then also, the reflexes start to disappear, so the infant controls the suck more cognitively. So less suck reflex, more suck thinking about it, I guess. And then the rib cage rounds. 
And the rib cage rounding has a lot to do with also sound development, early cooing, babbling, that kind of thing. But let me just speak a little bit about what happens in the oral cavity and with the swallow as the baby starts to move. So in the oral cavity, what happens is as the fat pads sort of decrease in the mouth, there gets to be more space in the mouth, then that jaw and that tongue have really gotten developed a good you know, suck swallow pattern or really suck pattern. So the tongue is at this point really good about moving up and behind the alveolar ridge and then back down. And the jaw moves up and down, up and down, very rhythmical, very controlled, very organized. At three months of age, a baby can take a bottle, you know, about four ounces fast. There's not like a 30-minute feeding. So if you think about a baby when you bring them home from the hospital, it takes about 30 minutes to feed them. A three-month-old baby, like 10 minutes, you're done kind of thing. You can finish that up in no time with a good burp. 10, 15 minutes, that's about it. So the tongue's gotten stronger, the jaw's gotten stronger. And because of that, and you really need for that to happen because as the fat pads decrease, then there's more room for the tongue to begin to start to move laterally. So then what happens from three to six months is you start to hear some cooing and the baby starts moving their tongue laterally more and they start sort of gearing up and getting ready for spoon feeding. A baby at three months of age is not ready to spoon feed. And I never recommend that. I always say wait till six months because their anatomy is not really ready. They're still developing. So those fat paths start to decrease. Then they can start to move their tongue laterally, but they really need to develop that tongue and jaw strength without the fat pads there to support everything. Because again, the lips are pretty passive. And the cheeks sort of going down make it so that the tongue then and the jaw can really strengthen. Those two things need to really strengthen because the jaw is sort of the framework for the rest of the mouth, and it's sort of the support system. If you think about it like in a house, it's the foundation. And if the foundation is weak, that means the jaw, then the tongue's never going to move right, the lips are never going to move right, the cheeks are never going to move right. So you really got to make sure that jaw is very, very strong, and that sets up spoon feeding, cup drinking, speech sound development, and words and everything else. And it all trickles off from there. So those fat pads decreasing, then that increased movement allows for the tongue and the jaw to independently strengthen. So by the time the baby is six months of age, they can begin to lateralize their tongue and their jaw doesn't move. So they have independent movement of the jaw from the tongue. And that's huge. So... Also, little side note, I said this in the Knowing Normal podcast, if you listen to that, about like uh, first sounds. Most, you know, dads are like thinking, oh, dad, 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 they're saying dad, dad. And mom's like, you got to be kidding me. Really? They're saying dad, dad first? They're saying dad, dad first because they've been basically practicing that sound from like feeding day one because their tongue moves up and forward right there at the alveolar ridge, which is where you put your tongue when you produce a D sound. So of course they're going to say dad, dad, but it's because they're used to putting their tongue there. That's what they do. They put their tongue right back there behind where their front teeth will be one day. They've done it like how many times does a baby eat a day? At first, every two hours, and then moving every three and four hours. So multiply that times number of days per week times number of days in three-month period. And they've done it a whole lot. So that by the time they get to be, you know, eight months of age, nine months of age, they're coming out with dad, 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 like crazy. Six months of age are coming without dad, dad. So if you're the mom, you may not want to bust his bubble, but just in your heart, no, it's not. They like dad, dad better. It's just they've been practicing that movement and sound forever. So there you go. Your little secret, keep it to yourself. Don't have to tell anybody. Okay. It did my heart good. 
when they all four of my people started saying dad, dad first. I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay. And you know, again, the lips are pretty passive. So they're not going to come out with my, my, my first because the lips, all they've done is just followed along with the cheeks and the jaw. That's it. Okay. There you go. That's a little side note tip for me to you. So again, like I said, you got more space, you've got more movement. And so really they're not ready to spoon feed until six months of age. And I don't recommend it until six months of age. Now we also need to talk a little bit about respiration because again, with that suck, swallow, breathe, the breathe thing is vital because you can't suck and swallow too much without a little breathing happening because you won't continue it long. And if respiration is not rhythmical, then feeding is not going to be rhythmical. You know, so a disorganized infant who's only sucking and swallowing and not breathing never is going to be an efficient feeder until they get that breathing pattern, that suck, swallow, breathe pattern done. So that's the first thing you think about. But basically what happens is from zero to about four months, they're practicing the suck, swallow, breathe, suck, swallow, breathe, suck, swallow, breathe. And they've got it down pretty good. And they're like doing it at parties and it's their party trick. And they're like, woo, they got it. Just kidding, but you know they're they got it going on. But at four months, you start to hear increased vowel sounds. You start to hear an increase, like in the duration of a sound, the increase in loudness, pitch variation, pitch changes. They really start sort of expanding and playing with sounds at this age, and that's cooing because they've been practicing the suck, swallow, breathe for so long that they really have gotten this good respiration pattern going, and they can make sounds for longer. Okay, and so then at five to six months. All of a sudden, a baby is starting to sit up or start trying to sit up, and you see a lot more abdominal activity. And because of that, they have increased capacity for sound, and that's where babbling starts. But also what happens is that rib cage goes from being flattened more, not really flat, but flatter, to more rounded because as those stomach muscles are developing, as those obliques, and they're pulling the rib cage down forward and they're rounding it. So if a baby doesn't have a lot of sitting balance, they don't have a lot of good core strength, core control, they're not rolling over, they're not, you know, able to start to try to at least sit up, weeble wobble sit up, you know how they are at five to six months. Sometimes they're not quite sitting independently. But if you don't see them trying to do some of that, a lot of times you'll feel a baby's rib cage is kind of flat. Well, you automatically know they're not going to have a real great capacity for longer vocalizations. They're probably not going to be babbling. They might just be cooing. They're going to sound more immature than they are for their age because they just don't have the lung capacity or they really don't have the abdominal strength to hold those longer respirations, those longer uh, speech sound patterns. They can't hold them. So you might see a decreased babbling at that age because if you can't really coo for a longer period, you're certainly not going to do ba 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 da 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 ma 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 ma. You're not going to do that or do lots of different variations in pitch and that kind of thing because you just don't have the respiratory support to do that. But say we're dealing with a normal baby who does, then at seven to nine months, really start seeing sound production independent of movement. So they don't have to be moving or really engaging their stomach muscles as much to make longer sounds. And that's also where you start seeing some variated babbling, like mom, da, da, ba, you know, I, da, ba, da, start, start jargoning a little bit, more of that kind of stuff starts to happen. And then at 12, 13, 14, 15 months, they have capacity for the use of speech. So they can start with some independent word use or beginning early first words, but their respiratory support is good enough and control is good enough that they can actually use first words. So always think about that, but it starts with feeding, you know, from the get-go, the suck, swallow, breathe pattern. You got to have that down first before you can really get all this other stuff. So the suck, swallow, breathe pattern is extremely important. And 
normal babies just get it and do it. But then if you, like I said earlier in the podcast, if you have any interruption in that whatsoever, prematurity, some kind of injury, anything at all, it may hinder that suck, swallow, breathe pattern. And then the rest of the patterns and the rest of the things and for development may be messed up. So it's just important to think about. It's important to know. And it's also important to know normal before you start to look at abnormal. So that's why we talk about it. And then I also wanted to mention really quick too, for that sucking reflex. Now I talked about this a little bit earlier, but for the sucking reflex, think about it. If you feed a one month old baby, if you present them with a nipple, all they really know how to do is to suckle that nipple. I mean, that's, they're going to do that. It's the reflex. It's going to happen. Boom. Unless they're sleeping, they're going to eat. It's just what they're going to do. At five months, six months, seven months, they might choose not to necessarily suck on that bottle. So when you see that sucking reflex start to go away, that's what I'm talking about. Now, it's really hard to go back and try to develop that sucking reflex. So if they never had it at one to six months of age, then it's really hard to try to develop that at six, seven, eight months of age. I'm not saying they can't be an oral feeder. I'm just saying they may not be able to go back and develop that good suck. So you may have bypassed that whole suck, swallow, breathe thing. Say a baby was fed with a G-tube, and then you go to try to introduce and say, that, oh, at 12 months, they got to take a bottle. Well, they're not going to be able to do that. So you're just going to have to move on to spoon feeding and cup drinking and bypass it and then try to make up and work on those areas of weakness that they didn't get. So that's important to know also when you're working with a baby, what's happened, what's been their normal they're normal if they were G2 fed for the six months of life. That is their normal. But you need to know what normal is so you can go back and try to recreate that. And not in necessarily sucking, but in maybe other exercises and other oral motor exercises and other activities, that kind of thing. It's important also to develop that trunk control, trunk strength, normal developmental movement. So you want to get PT, OT involved so all of that can be developed. And so that you know the respiratory support can be there for speech sound development later. So that's important. You know, you've got to start to include your other therapies in that. And so I want to just mention that real quickly. So that pretty much ends the normal anatomy physiology of infant feeding. We've went through all the structures, all the reflexes, and all the respiration and what happens as a baby learns to eat. It really actually they don't learn to eat. They come knowing how to eat and we feed them. But that's pretty much normal nippling and swallowing and breathing for an infant. I've mentioned the other podcasts of Knowing Normal for speech and language development, fine motor development, and gross motor development. If you haven't listened to those, go back and listen to those. They're on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also check out our website at www.pediatricdt.com for other resources, other therapy resources, other equipment such as teethers that we use a lot that we like, oral motor stimulation toys that we use a lot and like, gross motor. We have a whole section on there under therapy toys and equipment for babies. So other things that we use and we recommend in therapy, it's all there. But also you can check out other podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher and in that website. So hope you enjoyed this podcast. I did. I loved it. But I love this kind of stuff because I'm kind of a feeding nerd anyhow. But I loved it. It was fun. So tune in for more podcasts on this particular topic. Next time we'll talk about abnormal. And that's even more fun than normal. So um, stay tuned. And thanks so much for joining me. And I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. 
you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 